You are probably the most famous person in Nagoya that is not a celebrity. So I woke up in the morning and I went and told my parents, I'm moving to China next week. <laughs> like, what? One of the craziest things you've seen through one of your parties that you've thrown. The craziest yeah, thing craziest I've seen? Night. And it was a huge success. Like 200 people came on the first night or something. Anything, you can turn anything into a party. You just gotta really like have fun with the concept. Interesting, I, I wanna go there. I, I mean, mean, I wanna try every novelty? single sausage there. Oh, I, oh, I don't think I'd go that far. <laughs> Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Passion Project Japan. I'm your host, Theo. And I'm also your host, Gia. And today, our very special guest is... Matt! Hello. Yes, Matt is the founder and CEO of Small World Japan. They are like an organization that um, organizes events for the international community, as well as local Japanese here in Nagoya. And arguably, I would say that you are probably the, the most famous person in Nagoya that is not a celebrity. Would- I, don't, I, I don't think I'd go that far. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you walk down the street and you stop a, like a gaijin on the street yeah. and mm. provided they live in Nagoya, 80% of the times you tell them, do you know Matt from Small World? They would I say, guess, yeah, yes. maybe that could be true. Yeah. <laughs> and you're a celebrity then. Yeah, you are. You are, you are, you are. a celebrity, you know. So I don't know. That's quite, a, that's quite a title to live up to. <laughs> so do you want to introduce scary. yourself? Like, oh yeah. Um, my name is Matthew. Um, I'm from the UK. I've been in Japan for about nine years now. Uh, before that, I lived in China and um, I was uh, an English teacher uh, the whole time I've lived overseas. Uh, I've got history marketing, advertising, but my, uh, my BA was in architecture at Manchester University. Um, when I came to Japan, uh, I was an English teacher for about five years. Uh, and then somehow I fell into events and I've been working in the events industry for the last three to five years, something like that. And yeah. your, your English teaching in Japan was in Nagoya? Yeah. It was I've always always worked in Nagoya, yeah. And before that you were in China? I was in China, yeah. Like which, which part of which part of China? Fuzhou. On the south coast. Fuzhou. Near, <laughs> near near Taiwan. Near Taiwan, yeah. Yeah. Fuzhou. But so can you speak Fuzhonese? Uh, just, just I Mandarin? can speak I can speak some Mandarin, yeah, but it's been about ten years since I used it. So you know, sometimes people are like, Oh, you speak Chinese and I say, Oh yeah. Kay. Yeah. And then yeah, I wish I hadn't said yeah sometimes. Yeah. So you you took an architecture degree in University of Manchester. Yeah. What what why don't you do anything with like that? Um, do you know any architects? I do. Uh, no. There is the the really famous <laughs> Japanese guy who who I forgot his name. Tadao Ando. Yeah, Tadao Ando. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He he's really. I think he did the giant Buddha in Hokkaido. He's one of yeah. my favorite architects, actually. Yeah, Tadao. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the first things I did when I came to Japan. I went to uh, Naoshima because hmm. a lot of the buildings on Naoshima were designed by a Tadao Ando. So I went there to look at all that stuff. And it was really cool. It was like a dream come true. Um, but yeah, do you know any architect like as friends? Do you have any friends who are architects? I do have one, actually, back home in, in Hanoi. But... Okay, to be frank, he was also struggling to find a real job in architecture. As well. <laughs> <laughs> That's part of it. I think a lot of people find it quite difficult to to find a job in architecture afterwards. And it's sort of a really, really long degree as well. It's like a seven-year degree. Oh, seven something. years. Well. Seven, yeah, seven you years. need to do three, and then you need to do some years in industry, and then you've got to do your master's and pass some tests. It's, it's pretty brutal. Mm. And the bachelor's degree is really difficult as well. So there's a lot of work you've got to do. So after that three years, I did two years as a painter as well, a fine art degree. I did two years before that. So I'd been in, in education, like higher education for five years before uh, when I graduated. And I was thinking, man, I just need to get out and do something else for a little while. So I thought I'll take a couple of years, 
uh, work in a different industry uh, and then come back and finish my degree. But of course, <laughs> I didn't do that. You n- never went back. <laughs> <laughs> never went back. You kiss yeah. architecture goodbye. And yeah. so that's when you went into marketing? Yeah, I worked in yeah. marketing for uh, a year or so and I worked in kind of different things related to that. I worked, in, created some ads, I did web design, I did all sorts of kinds of things. Anything related to design, I did that for a couple of years. Um, and then I thought, uh, I don't really want to go back to architecture, I really want to see the world, so I'm going to go and travel. So I started applying for jobs doing teaching. Um, and I was originally looking for jobs in Japan, actually, because you know I was a bit of an anime geek when I was at school. So, what, so what's your favorite anime? Anytime. My favorite anime ever? Ooh, yeah, let's ever. go there. Ever. Uh, ever? Yeah, I, if I go historically, it's going to be Dragon Ball. Dragon Ball. Dragon Ball. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's the one that got me into it in the first place, and I still look back fondly on it. You know, Son Goku. Okay. What a badass. There's no story of talking, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so you wanted to come to Japan because you were like kind of inspired by anime? And what year was that, if you don't mind me asking? That was, oh, I don't even know. That was 10 years ago, right? So that must okay. have been 2014. And it wasn't so much that I was into anime. I was thinking, I want to see the world. I want to go somewhere completely different, somewhere where I don't understand the language, I don't understand the culture, I don't know anything about mm-hmm. where I live. And the only country I could think of that I have a vague connection to was like, well, I, I was interested in Japan when I was a kid, so I started applying for jobs in Japan. Mm. And uh, I got rejected a bunch of times. And then uh, I got a phone call at like 3 a.m. from a guy in China. And he oh. said hey, I see you're applying for jobs in Asia. Do you want to come and work in China? And I was like, what is 3 a.m., man? Like, no, not really. And he said, just talk to me. Talk to me for 20 minutes. Ask me anything you want. And I'll answer you completely honestly. And then you can make your decision. So I was there in bed, you know, in my pajamas. And uh, I asked him every question I had, all the harshest questions I had. And uh, he answered them really well. And he's such a, like, a, a nice guy. Um, and it sounded really fun that I thought, yeah, okay, sure, I'll go. Let's let's give it a go. Why not? Well, so you decided three thirty a.m. to to head to China. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. But how how did how did the guy fire you though? Um, when you're looking for jobs like English teaching jobs, you put them all on like uh, an ELT like website oh. where you put your CV up, and then other employers can reach out to you. Mm. And um, I guess he found me through that. I don't know why he would have looked for me specifically, but. Uh, yeah, so I woke up in the morning and I went and told my parents, I'm moving to China next week. <laughs> like, what? Next week? Right, right, the week after you It decided? took like two weeks or something like that for me to wow. like, get everything together. And, okay. Yeah. Was that scary? Like, I can't imagine, like, it was just like, how old were you at the time? You don't I was about 25, 24, something like that. Okay. But yeah, scary is fun though, right? Yeah. I mean, the whole point was for me to get out of my comfort zone and do something I'd never done before. Mm. So... The idea of me just kind of selling everything and moving out and moving to a different country, like at the drop of a hat like that, that was really exciting to me, you know? And the more my parents were like, no, 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 reconsider it, the, the more I wanted to do it, actually. Yeah, yeah. So, understandable. I mean, they were happy for me to do it, but they, I think they were a bit surprised that I had made such a snap decision to go somewhere I hadn't originally planned to go <laughs> at 3 a.m. Like, so, yeah. How was it difficult for you to change from China to Japan? Um... I thought it wouldn't be, but yes, it was a hugely <laughs> difficult thing. Actually, everybody thinks, everybody says that the culture shock you get when you go to China is is really bad. But I found the culture shock coming from Japan, from China to Japan was much harder, actually. Ooh, in what way? Um, China is a much more laid back, relaxed country where um, there are a lot more like individual freedoms. Like... As a person, as long as you don't 
like bother like talk about the government or you're not excessively <laughs> political you yeah. know as you as an individual you can do basically whatever you want especially in like a, a, a b-level city you know mm. um and i never felt more free and uh there is like a you feel a bit like a celebrity there as well right Fuzhou. <laughs> you know yeah. it's like a city of like like five million or something like that and there's like a thousand foreigners in the whole city so mm. everybody oh. treats you different i never paid for a drink like the That's whole crazy. time, I never paid for a drink. I'd walk. There was one club we used to go to called Tukalaka, right? Very Chinese, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why it was called Tukalaka, but we used to go to a club called Tukalaka. Representation of China. every time we wanted to go, um, the guy would just be like, "Come in, come in." You know, the foreigners come in for free. And um, my last day there, my last night there, we we're like, "Let's go to the club and let's." pay for everything and they just would not take my money like no wow. matter what they were like into the vip i was like can i buy a drink no 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 this one's for you for free was like, it was really frustrating actually wow. <laughs> what a celebrity but yeah wow. it was the same for all of the foreigners mm. so. so that's where you cultivated your celebrity status in fuzo and now in nagoya mm. like, uh, so. i don't know about a celebrity <laughs> man but um but yeah, the transition to Japan was really difficult because that suddenly just evaporated. Yeah. And that freedom uh, and, of course, being able to speak the way you want and talk to people the way you want and kind of do what you want, it just disappears when you move to Japan. Everything is based on the rules and fitting in with everybody else and behaving in a certain way and not drawing attention to yourself. It was very much the opposite of China. And I really, really enjoyed being in China and having that freedom. And coming to Japan felt really... Uh, like stifling mm -hmm. and I found it really difficult to make friends and it was a couple of years before I made any like really good connections and that made me really um, wonder if I was going to stay here. Do you have any like stories about like that kind of stifling environment? Um, well I know that when I first came from China everybody thought I was a jerk because you're kind of loud and you know pushy and rude and that that kind of personality it kind of goes down quite well in, in China in social situations, but it doesn't go down well in Japan when you like that. And I think a lot of people found me really like abrasive and it took me a couple of years to kind of soften out my personality and become a bit more um, personable, friendly, <laughs> nice, polite. Um, so I think I've reached like a, a balance now, maybe, I hope. Yeah. Hey there. If you haven't subscribed to us on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts, please do so. And so, how, how did you find your job in Japan? Um, my first job in Japan, uh, I worked for an eikaiwa, like a standard eikaiwa. And um, again, I was very um, rebellious and I didn't like to follow rules and um, I wanted to do things my way. And that doesn't really go down well in Japan. So I didn't last very long at that job, actually. Okay. Um, I lasted about a year and then I moved to a different job. And um, from working at Aikaiwa, I switched to a dispatch company. And the dispatch mm -hmm. company, it was one of the best jobs I've ever had, actually. I worked there for like six years. And they basically gave me the freedom to teach whatever I wanted, wherever I wanted. They gave me the textbook and they said, okay, now go to Gifu and teach a two-hour class. Okay. And... Um, they trusted that I could do it as long as the feedback from the students was good. And that meant that I could see a lot of Aichi Chubu. Uh, I had a lot of different students. I had a lot of freedom and control over my own classes, which is basically what I wanted from the start. And uh, that went really well, and I worked there for a long time. It was good. Why did you decide to change to uh, events planning then? 
I didn't, so... I didn't really plan to. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> it, wasn't my, it wasn't my intention to switch to events at all. I never really considered being in the events industry at all. That was never a plan of mine. Um, I always used to throw a lot of parties when I was a kid, when I was at you know, high school and university, and uh, I really liked throwing parties. That was something I enjoyed. But um, I never really thought I could make a career out of it. Yeah. And then, um, I don't know, I was at, I was at somebody's birthday party uh, at The Rock, you know, the bar. And there were a lot of people there, and this guy said, "Hey, I've just bought a bar." And I said, "Congratulations! You should do a, you should do an opening party." And he said, "Nah, I'm too lazy. You organize it, and uh, you can keep the entry fee." And I was like, "Wow, um, sure, we'll give it a go." And I, th- I tried out, thought I tried out, and it was a huge success. Like 200 people came on the first night or something. It was yeah, it's crazy. Crazy. What was the entry? Uh, I think we put a thousand yen or something like that entry <laughs> at the time. But 200 the, people yeah so it was really it was really big success and it yeah. was a great night and then he said do you want to do it again next month and I said yeah sure I'll do it again yeah. and then I did it the month after and the month after and the part the party was growing and more people were coming and then I thought okay maybe I can make something out of this you know wait but how, how do you get like 200 people yeah, exactly. to, to just turn up to this party yeah. like were you at the time were you really well connected with like the scene or like international people or like how you get the word out well, it wasn't so much that I was really well connected. Actually, I wasn't that well connected at the very beginning. I mean, I found that doing events has made me much more connected with the local scene. I w- I'm, I'm an extrovert. I like socializing with people. And I go out. Uh, I always used to go out when I had the opportunity, but um, I wasn't this big like socialite. But we had a lot of friends. Um, and the idea of just, you know, an ordinary person hosting a party back then that wasn't like an organizer it's quite a big deal and we kind of asked everybody do you want to come it'll be really fun and they told their friends and they told their friends and suddenly it became this huge thing and loads of people came also the location which i'm learning now was a really good place to do it it already had a base and it had really good foot traffic which meant that if there was sound coming out and there was like a a queue people Mm. would be interested and they they'd they'd come too so um yeah, only now do I look back and think, man, that was a great place to do a party. But the Rock. Where was it? Oh, The no, Rock? No, that was, that was at okay. my bar. The first party oh, we did was at my bar. Oh. My bar doesn't exist anymore. Oh, okay. I was like, where is my bar? Yeah, yeah. it used to be next to the TV tower. Oh, so like, like immediately next to the TV tower, one block from the TV tower, like facing it. And it was like this underground B1 location. Uh, it's a really nice place. Run by, uh, at the time, it was a Brazilian guy. But mm. I think more historically, it's been known to have been run by a couple of uh, Argentinian girls. So you were, at this point in time, you were still working for the dispatch company? Yep. And you were kind of just doing this like on the weekends, throwing parties on the weekends? Yeah, it wasn't really a plan. I didn't really see anything coming of it. But I thought, hey, once a month, let's do something like this. And it was cool. Okay. And it was just yourself for organizing this event? Uh, It was me and my girlfriend at the time. We kind of started it together. Yeah. And then when when did Small World as an organization or like as an entity like emerge? The original plan to do that was just before COVID, actually. (sighs) Wow. So it was about two, three months before COVID where we started getting all the paperwork and things together. And then COVID happened and we had to kind of abandon everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then um, like the year after COVID, we decided to make it an official entity. Okay. Um, it was difficult, but um, I think it needed to be done because I knew that I, I wanted to make it into a career at that point. Uh, so I needed to get that done sooner rather than later. You know? So the whole time during COVID, you had to like put a pause to the events or were you still cultivating this like 
events, community, like through online stuff? Um, this was really hard because uh, we never really knew like when COVID was going to end or if it ever was going to end. And I wanted to, the most important thing for me was that the community was still like looked after. So I wanted to maintain a presence and still be providing stuff for the community, especially when everybody felt so disconnected. Um, but it was really difficult to do that. I don't know if you've ever tried doing like online meetups and stuff. Super difficult. I still remember last time when, because we entered the school during the COVID, everything was online, even like the meetups was online and nobody was actually interacting to each other. You know, they didn't really turn on the camera. No one was at, was talking about anything. Mostly it was the host who talked about themselves, among themselves, right? So, yeah, I think online events, they're really difficult because... For example, now, let's say there are three of us. We can mm. kind of talk over each other. We know when someone's going to end, end and that's how the conversation flows really easily. Mm. Yeah. Whereas online events, there's only one person talking at one time. And if right. there's another conversation that you want to have with, let's say, like the guy behind the camera, you, 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 you can't do it. You can't do that. Yeah. Mm. Like, it's, it's really difficult to have multiple conversations. So you're all just locked into this one person speaking. Exactly. Yeah. So... Yeah, doing online hangouts was really difficult. So the idea of doing a conversational type event was basically impossible. Mm. And everybody had to wait their turn. You're stuck in a chair and it's awkward. So instead, we started doing some events we were doing online, like trivia. We were doing the quiz online, which kind of worked. Um, but there was no dynamism. And then we tried all kinds of other things. We were doing YouTube videos and we were <laughs> doing like uh, like live streaming and loads of things we tried to do all of our events online we did cooking shows we did loads of different stuff just to kind of keep the community engaged but um i don't think it fell on deaf ears i think i think the audience was was happy that we were doing things like that but um at the same time it was a huge amount of energy and um it didn't really pay off in a way so it felt like we were screaming into the void a lot yeah so it was very stressful very stressful um so we kind of stopped that after about a, a year yeah. Once the COVID is over, I was wondering how, how is the business model of Small World is like? Did you hold the events every month or like every week? How do you keep it continue? Um, after COVID or like, I mean, before COVID, I mean, we've always kind of followed the same kind of structure. Like we mm. started at the international party, but we kind of expanded, expanded out of that more because we wanted to do stuff for the community, right? Mm. So I think the second event we did was maybe trivia, but we took that from somebody else when they left Japan. They moved back to the, the States and they said, we've got a trivia event. And we said, okay, we'll take care of it. But I think the next event we did after that was the trash pickup, the Sunday pick me up event. Mm -hmm. uh, that's probably our second longest running event. And that was more because we wanted to give back to the community, right? So um, at that point we had two or three events we were doing once a week. And then we thought, hey, let's throw something in, something else in there. So we had one every week. Um, but after COVID, everything was a risk. Everything was a massive risk. Yeah. So we couldn't really host events with the same kind of frequency and then be sure that people would come because, of course, events cost a lot of money as well. Mm. So um, things like the International Party, I think that was the first one we brought back, the International Party, and we did that, I think that was in November after the restrictions were lifted, after the the hard restrictions were lifted. Mm. And that was in 2022, I guess. Right? I can't remember. 2022? Probably. Probably, Probably. November 2022. Not so long ago. Yeah. And it was not great 
I mean, the whole energy about it, if I felt guilty hosting it. Yeah. And we got a lot of online hate for having done it because wow. everyone was like, COVID is still there. I can't believe yeah. you do this kind of thing. And um, everybody was wearing masks and there was that kind of like weight in the air. Mm-hmm. And of course, we didn't get enough of a turnout to make it worthwhile. So everything about that was like, it's not going to work out. So we took a few more months uh, before we actually came back officially when the restrictions were officially lifted. Um, and then we came back with the international party and all, it all came back fine, actually. Hmm. 2023 was a pretty good year for events. Guys, we are upping up our short form content game this year. So if you don't want to miss that out, please follow us at Passion Project JP on Instagram and TikTok. Exclusive content just for you guys. But I just have to know, like, what is like one crazy, one of the craziest things you've seen through one of your parties that you've thrown? <laughs> the craziest? Yeah, thing craziest. I've seen? Like, really, like, you're, you, you look at it and, like, wow, this would, this would be, this wow. Maybe this wouldn't even happen in the UK, which my image, mad parties, just like craziness. But <laughs> what's one thing that you experienced here? You're like, oh, wow, I did not expect this to happen. Actually, it's like pretty tame. Like most of our parties, we got good people, you know, they don't uh, do crazy stuff. Yeah. This is something we have to tell a lot of is the venues. Is that a challenge? It's like- <laughs> I mean, we, we have to tell the venues often. Sometimes they're like, oh, party with lots of guys, and I don't know, you know. And we have to reassure the venues, like, we're, we're good, you know, we're not going to break anything, you know. Uh-huh. Um, but um, actually, the first time we did a karaoke event, this was a real mess. <laughs> I look back on this over and over again. Uh, and it's a huge, like, really big lesson that I learned from this. We thought, oh, karaoke event, that'll be easy, right? So we booked a venue um, and we said, hey, do you have, like, karaoke equipment? And they said, yeah, sure, no problem. Um, and then when we got there, we'd sold like, about 60 tickets or something, Nomi Hodai. And there was just this tiny little amp at the back of the room <laughs> with, like, two speakers on cables and no, like, a, this tiny little television. And as soon as the people started coming in, we were like, oh no, we've made a huge mistake. What are we going to do? And then <laughs> we tried it out and it didn't work at all. <laughs> it didn't work at all. Nobody could hear anything. So we found that this, like, the, the venue had like a PA system that wasn't set up. It was just kind of sitting around at the back. And one of the guys that came to the event, he's like got experience setting up equipment and stuff, you know, sound equipment. And he was like, oh, he, after like half a bottle of vodka, he was like, oh, I think I think I can figure out how to make this work, you know. <laughs> so we were there like carrying speakers from one end of the room to the other end of the room and like trailing wires across the ground, trying to get all these things set up static, like horrible static well, streets like whilst people are oh, in waiting. there trying to sing. Some people trying to get drinks, a real mess. One of the most embarrassing like failures <laughs> ever, like. But it was Nomi Holiday and everybody was super drunk. And I think everybody's memory of that is, is pretty good, actually. <laughs> so the, did you get the PA system to work? No. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't work at all. Didn't work at all. We're carrying it around for like 40 minutes. Didn't work at all. No. So in the end, it was just a Nomi Holiday event? Kind it of. was just a Nomi Holiday with, with um, karaoke that didn't work. You know, Some people were really upset they didn't get a chance to sing. Most people were okay that they got a chance to drink a lot. And I was behind the bar at the same time. We didn't have staff. It was me serving the drinks. Oh. So as soon as people were like <laughs> complaining, I was like, well, <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Have a drink. You know? <laughs> messy, messy. Yeah, yeah, it was real messy. Yeah. So yeah, I learned a lot from that. Make sure that everything with your venue is, is right. Don't make any assumptions. Yeah. Right? I'm so surprised yeah. you didn't do like a pre yeah, pre-event visit, you know, just do like a location scouting. I mean, like pre-COVID, back when things were good, like 
everything was completely different. It's post-COVID where things got tough, where we realized we had to be a bit more professional about things. Yeah. Mm. Back when parties were good and loads of people were coming, no matter what, it was easy. You know, you just throw an event, people will come. Um, it'll be a success. If it doesn't go well, everybody will be, you know, have a good time anyway. It was only when, you know, post-COVID where people were a bit more hesitant, less people started coming out, we had more competition, yeah. that we had to start, you know, being really um, serious. Oh, and that, that gives a really good transition because you said uh, you have to be a little bit more professional and a bit more serious. So I kind of mm. want to ask you about your playbook for organizing events and how you manage to attract people and convince them to come out. Because both of us have experience trying to organize events here in Nagoya, mm. varying levels of success to mm. invite people out. So yeah, if I could just peel back the the, the mystique of, of organizing events and, and figure out how you do it. So let's just say it's a party. Right, mm. we want to get people to come and speak English, which is just the easiest mm. thing that international people can organize a Koryukai international cultural exchange event. Mm. So, what would be the step like? How do you you know find a venue? How do you get the word out? And how much do you charge? And what are the considerations that you have? Mm. Um, so you want to do a language exchange event kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, let's let's say a language exchange. Let's change. Okay, a language exchange event. So I guess you got the concept, but really, um, the most important thing is making it different to everybody else's. I think you've got to do a bit of brainstorming to think how can we make this event different to everybody else's. It could be something really simple, like uh, just a visual theme or something like that. But if it's just language exchange, please please come. There are no shortage of language exchanges in Nagoya. There's hundreds of them. So you've got to find a way to make it stand out from everybody else's. And once you've got that idea, um, come up with a really clear concept of how you can execute that. Uh, and so maybe you, you draw out the venue and say what you're going to do in these different places, come out with a, like a program of what's going to happen at different times um, and really like brainstorm, come up with some really, really cool ideas and then choose the ones you like the best and develop them a bit further. Second thing you're going to do is uh, make a budget. Um, I didn't know anything about budgets before, <laughs> b- before like COVID, but now make a budget. So like how much things are going to cost, um, uh, how much you expect things to cost. Um, and then start like fitting things into it. So you're gonna start talking to the venues and seeing what kind of capacity do you want? How many people do you want or do you think you can get to this event? And then you're gonna start looking around um, for venues that you've probably attended before and see how much they're gonna charge for you to do it. Either you can rent the place, which is likely to be very expensive, or you can host the event there but then also have customers coming in. So there's, there's a bunch of different things you have to weigh up whether or not you're going to ticket. If you're going to ticket, you need to make it a private event, really, right? Okay. Mm. So step one is make yourself standing out. Yeah, differentiate yourself. Differentiate yourself. Mm. Yeah. How I, should we? How can we do that if it's like a language exchange? How do you think? Okay, if it's a language exchange, let's say we we're doing it um, this year, mm. we we're going to host like this Koryukai event. I guess we can do, uh, like like you said, theme, right? Yeah. Like what theme there's in like people come in a costume. Or? I mean, <laughs> I've got a joke with one of the one of the guys I work with, right? He says, well, we play a game like come up with a stupid idea and I'll make a party out of it, right? Uh-huh. So anything, you can turn anything into a party. You just got to really like have fun with the concept. Yeah. Like we were sitting on my couch and talking about it. He said hot dogs. And I was like, a hot dog party? That sounds so lame. And then we started thinking about it. Actually, 
you could probably make that pretty cool. You could do like 2,000 yen, tabuhodai hot dogs, right? You just get like a, a mess of hot dogs, so many hot dogs and people coming back, get as many hot dogs as you want. You have all the toppings on the side. You have you like all the uh, event graphics are based around hot dogs. All the, the slogans would be like hot dog jokes, P get people to dress up as hot dogs, hot dog graphics, hot dog decorations. And suddenly it becomes this really big, like fun event it yeah. becomes cool yeah. you know so you can you can run with anything if as long as you like really double down on the concept anything will work please tell me the event was called sausage party exactly no! yes i never nice. did it I never did it but <laughs> yeah. I, it's there i know that if i ever need to pull a wild card out it's like i can do the sausage party okay. sausage work. party is copyrighted guys do not <laughs> steal their, their concept i want to see matt in a hot dog costume yeah, yeah. interesting i, I want to go there i, I mean, mean i want to try for every single sausage there Oh, well, okay. <laughs> okay, sure. Uh, yeah, some relish, uh, some mustard as well. Yeah. Okay, so 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 having that differentiating factor, and then you said like come up with a budget. Yeah, that's yeah. step two. Coming but up with a budget. How do you know how much things cost? Like mm. like what are you? What kind of what are the main like costs in your head besides venue? A lot of it like, comes from experience and knowing kind of how much things are going to cost. Like most of it is venue. Um, the venue is going to be the big hit. That's going to yeah. be the most expensive thing. So you can kind of imagine based on experience, how much different venues are going to cost depending on their capacity or what kind of um, features they've got. You know, some have got really good sound systems. Uh, some of them have got like great staff, great wait staff, restaurants, things like that. Uh, others are just a big empty room. So you can kind of estimate how much they're going to be based on those things. So that's like your big thing. Okay, the venue is going to cost this much. And then you start adding things on, on top. And you can actually run an event um, if your venue is free, you can do an event for almost free. Um, okay. It depends like what you want to put in there. So if you're doing a language exchange, there's not a whole lot you need to pay for, right? Yeah. Uh, well, I guess it depends on how much extra stuff you want. Like yeah. if you want to provide name tech and stuff, but let's say it's a language exchange, pretty chill. Let's run with the sausage idea. I, I kind of I like it. Yeah. You so let's say it's ingredients a, for food. Yeah, yeah. Food, food and stuff. So, so you're yeah. going to start calculating how much each person's going to eat. Uh, so if you've got 50 people coming, you've got to imagine each person's going to eat like three hot dogs. Some are going to push themselves to eat five. Um, each hot dog you could probably get for, I don't know, like 100 yen each, right? 150 mm. yen each. So that's going to be that cost there. You've got to put all that in. How are you going to heat them up? Do you, gotta, do you get a microwave or do you get like a, a, like a, a grill kind of thing to, warm, to boil them in the water? I don't know. But you've got to start adding together all these things. And then, of course, if you're going to do that, you need staff. Are you going to pay somebody to work there? Or are you going to do it yourself? If you're going to do it yourself, you're going to burn yourself out throughout that day. Yeah. Like you need some support. So maybe you can get some friends to help you out. Again, these are things you're going to factor in. Um, and then uh, it depends how skilled you are as well. Mm. Mm. Um, things like uh, promotional materials. If you can make them yourself, you can save a lot of money. Mm. If you have to hire somebody else to do it, that's going to cost a lot of money because promotional yeah, materials true. are actually quite expensive. Yeah, with Canva, I guess now you can you can do quite easy pretty, to make it yeah, pretty fast, pretty like we don't need a very experienced graphic designer. Mm. So I want to ask you how you get people to your doorstep. How do you get people to turn up for your event and how do you get the word out basically? Is there any like tips or tricks you have for like really making this, uh, make, blowing up your event on social media or something? Um, I have the advantage of having done this for a long time so I've already got a base. Yeah. So whenever I post anything, thousands of people see it off the bat. Um, and people, I have the reputation as well. People know that my events are going to be good. So they're likely to come, you know, just off the name on its own. If I was starting out from scratch, it would be a lot harder. Um, for me, uh, I would do a free event first. Like the first event I would do would be a free event. 
um, because there's no risk for anybody involved. That's true. So, That's true. Yeah, they can back out anytime. Basically, they can. Mm. Well, they don't have. They, they don't. There's no no cost to them. Yeah, the yeah. idea of coming to a free event and then leaving 20 minutes later is no big deal, right? So mm. they can. You know, if you do a free event, I would get a free space, find a free event, get your friends to help you out, and then do a free event. But if I was going to do a paid event, how do I get people to come? Um, a lot of it is going to be in guest list. Find the most influential people you know and sell the idea to them. Tell mm. them that it's going to be a really good time. Like pitch it to them, essentially. Uh, you can do that through conversation or you can um, you can physically like show them what the event is going to look like. With you know, The most important thing is that you are excited about the idea. If you are excited, you can really sell it well. If you think the idea is going to fail, you're not going to sell it well and people are not going to want to come. Talk about it a lot. Find some people who are influential and have pull and ask them, give them, give them free tickets and ask them to come and tell their friends, you know? That's a big way to do it. Invite your own friend group, you know, for free. Mm. Um, anybody who you know is likely to come anyway, just like bring them for free. Is all your traffic um, organic or this super nerdy, but have you ever tried paid ads? Yeah, we try tried paid ads. They don't work that well. Okay. So as in the, the return on investment for the... For the paid ads, wasn't really worth it, worth it. Something that works is boosting posts that are successful. It's post event. So post um, event. Post event. I see. Okay, that's interesting. So usually, what I do is when I've got a huge event that's been very successful and I have some great photos, um, I'll post the photos. They'll get like a hundred, two hundred likes, and when I see it gets over one hundred and fifty likes, I'm like, okay, that's a lot. I'll put a thousand yen into it, boost it, and if it gets more reach then I'll boost it further mm. but it doesn't happen that often things like Halloween or like the final international party things like that get huge huge uh, response on social media so that stuff works so that brings in new people to your community but um, yeah but yeah, <laughs> yeah. so um, the event itself um, mm. when you're at the event itself what are the considerations you have are you because for me, I find it, if I'm the one running the event, I find it difficult to enjoy the event because I have like so much things going on in my head. But um, I've been to like international party once, actually, like years ago. And I saw you just completely just with the crowd, just having fun. Jamming. How do you not like feel the pressure of like... Uh, I do. <laughs> oh, you do? Wow. I okay, do. You mask it really well. Of course well. I do. Actually, this is something I struggle with quite a lot. Yeah. Being able to take my eyes off the workings of the event. Um definitely more as it, the, the longer I've been doing this the harder I find it to do actually um, the more complicated events get uh, the more I feel I have to kind of monitor everything so I do move about the crowd and I do talk to people and I do a few shots of people but in the back of my mind I'm also like uh, it's get a bit hot in here music's a bit loud uh, there's a queue at the door you know all of these things I do notice and that can be difficult to to balance um, yeah, you know, if you're talking to somebody and you're having a conversation and in the corner of your eye, you can see something going on. Suddenly, you're distraction. There's a distraction, and you 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 lose track of the conversation. That's not cool. Yeah, yeah, it's really difficult. It's something I struggle with a lot, actually. Um, having somebody to support you is a big help. Um, Kago, um, Kago is now my number two. I don't know if you've met Kago before, but he's absolutely fantastic, and he really takes a lot of that stress off me because I know that. Even if I haven't got my eye on it, Kago's probably got his eye on it. And that's great. He's always uh, he's always taking care of stuff. So that helps. Having support. Is he the DJ that... Yeah. Then uh, I think I met him. He was in the Novsta party the yeah. other day. Yeah. <laughs> and so, okay, so now we've done the pre-event, getting people in the door. Promotion. Promotion. We have the event itself where you are 
trying to focus and hopefully have somebody to help run the operation side of things. Uh, do, do you have any other questions about that? Oh. Yeah, so like one, two, three, kind of three steps, right? Yeah. What's the next step for having like successful? Where are we? Well, I so guess the first one is come up with the concept, right? Yeah, come up with the concept. Budget. Budget. And promote. Promotion. promotion. Yeah. Another thing I want to add to the promotion is make sure it looks good. Like, this is the big thing for me. Like, all of my promotion has got to look awesome. Mm. I don't want to put out any flyers that look like I've made it in 10 minutes. It's got to look killer. Um, and that really sets your work apart from everybody else's. Yeah. Um, it, loads of people have flyers that they've made on Canva in 10 minutes, you know? Yeah. And you that tell. works. You yeah. It works if you've got a small community and you've got a close group of friends and they're going to come because they know you and they're going to come no matter what it looks like. But if you're just trying to sell the idea of a party to somebody who's never met you before, it's difficult. And the best way to do that is to communicate that through like quality promotional materials. It suddenly sets you apart from everybody else. Mm. Yeah. I agree. Um, that's kind of what we're doing with the podcast as well. We try to have this really professional yeah. looking setup. Cool looking. Just so people will take us like seriously. They'll be like, oh, that's weird. Like why are these students, instead of just, you know, starting off from with a very shoddy, maybe that's like the marketing background, like of your marketing background speaking. Well, it's, it's my own psychology as well. Like yeah. when I look at stuff, when I see stuff, I'm like, I'd, I'd rather go to something that looks really good than something if I, if especially if there's no like pre like prior like photos yeah. or documentation of previous events the only way i can judge whether or not somebody cares about that with the quality of, of their output is going to be the promotional materials right mm. so and the way that you guys present yourself i can see that you take it seriously and that's you know that's a really big thing for me as well so yeah thank you for inviting me <laughs> thank you for coming to us yeah the wisdom bombs so yeah. so that's the promotion side and then yeah. we got the people in the door and on the day itself anything mm. to, to add to that process um i guess the fourth step is document like oh true document stuff hard mm. like um the best way like i can't remember where i read this but um some marketing book or something it was like People might listen to you if you tell people how good you are, but other people telling other people how good you are is definitely going to make them take notice, right? So the best thing to do is to get other people who are at your party to do Instagram stories, photos, tag you, share that stuff, share in the moment. The most powerful stuff is going to be that FOMO, right? the fear of missing out. So all the people who are at home and they, they, someone said to them, hey, do you want to go to that small world party? And they're like, nah, and just stay at home. And then they open their Instagram and they see the stories of all their friends having an awesome time. They're going to feel like, damn, I made a real mistake not coming there. out today, right? <laughs> yeah, FOMO is one of the strongest like motivators yeah. for people to buy stuff or to go to stuff. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, so getting, getting people who are there to do really good social media, you yourself capture stuff and share it tag everyone who you who is in those photos videos and then after the event well you've you've probably got some professional photographer someone who's really good and a videographer if you can afford it and then once you've got those high quality photos sent over to you blast them out share them gradually and um make sure that everybody's tagged mm. people love seeing themselves in photos right true so people are going to share photos yeah. that they're in if they're good photos. If they're bad photos, they're not going to share them. So make sure everybody looks good in all the photos, share them out. You know? And so there's like the post-event. Post-event. Really, like, like what you said, like the post-event is pretty important because it sets the foundation for your next mm. event. So you boost the posts that are doing well, you tag people, make sure people are talking about it after that. Right. Yeah. I suppose that kind of crossed over. 
but the other thing at the party is to um introduce people to other people if you're doing it like a networking kind of thing Ooh. um you talk to people make sure everybody's feeling good there's bound to be people like hanging around on their own that don't know anybody talk to them bring them into another group and make them feel comfortable because if they meet somebody there they've got what they wanted out of that event they came there because they didn't know anyone if you introduce them to somebody so they know somebody they're going to come back likely with that person again so that's a powerful thing to do so i have a, a question you can you don't need to answer this if you don't feel comfortable but on average can you give a ballpark sum of how much you make per event it really depends okay it really depends i mean you you must have seen that we do some smaller events and we do some bigger events mm-hmm. a lot of events we do don't make any money and okay. then there are other events uh, that's by that's by design as well some events we do and they just kind of kind of make a little bit of cash uh, and those ones are more that they maintain a community i really want to do events that kind of cater to all of the different communities you know um i noticed though people were coming to me and saying we don't have like a futsal group or how do i play futsal so i made a futsal group that's not like a big cash like money maker mm. but uh it's created a community and they go every time and they feel comfortable and they made new friends and that's why we do that one um, same thing with Sunday Pick Me Up. That's a community event that really helps improve the image of foreigners in Japan as well. Um, to see us walking around and cleaning the streets in such a big group, you know, it really makes people take notice of us, and that's a really important thing to do too. But then we have, you know, international parties and uh, like language exchanges and stuff, which make an okay amount of money. And then we have big hits every now and again, like Halloween, New Year, stuff like that. Those are really big ones. So, mm. yeah. Is it? Yeah, I don't know. Is there, is there like a range maybe for let's say Halloween event? Like, I'll let you work it out. Ah, but like, okay. let's say <laughs> last year when we did Halloween, we had 550 people come, right? And, yeah. And that was a 3,000 yen ticket. Mm. But, Do the math. But, but of course there are expenses, yeah. you know, venues cost money, all the promotional stuff. Like promotions for um, Halloween this year was yeah. something like 200,000 yen just to promote it. Yeah. We did photo shoots and, you know, all sorts of stuff. It was cool. Yeah. The the scale is way bigger than I imagined, to be honest. Because like so far, when I uh, organize events in the university, we uh, we have a certain budget, and then we just spend based on the budget that we have. Yeah. And usually it's not, yeah, and it should be free for students yeah. as well. The total available market for students is just people within within university. the university. Yeah, and I noticed that you you have a student mixer coming up. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to shield that for the audience, like uh, promote that? <laughs> I can. Yeah. So we're doing a student mixer next week. We've done mixes before, but... Um, but the, what's the actual date? Sorry. Oh, it's next... What is that? January 28th? January 28th. 28. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, January 28th. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Sunday. Uh, the idea is that actually when I meet students, um, most of them are within their own little bubble. You know, they... Like Meidai students, no Meidai students. <laughs> and Nanzan students, no Nanzan students. And Nuff students, no Nuff students. But they don't really know each other. You know, they might see each other, they don't interact with each other. So sometimes I go to events and they're all in these little groups, not talking to each other. So I wanted to do like a student mixer to bring them all together in one place so that they can kind of start making connections at different universities. I think that's, that, when I was at university, that would have been really good for me. I never really met anybody else at my own university, so. That's that's what we're doing next week. It's free if you register in advance. So register in advance on the Small World website. Yeah, link yeah. we'll put in the description below. Totally. Yeah. yeah, and so Matt, please, where can they find you? Where can they learn more about Small World? Small World, we have a website. It's the smallworldjpn.com. We're on social media, smallworld underscore insta um, on Instagram. 
Uh, we have Twitter. Don't use it much. Um, <laughs> and Facebook we're there as well, but yep. less so than usual. Meetup, of course, slash small world. I mean, everything is there. You can mm. find all of our events online. And of course, if you have questions about anything, send us a DM. Yeah. Mm. If you're interested in organizing an event or join his event, let him know, okay? Yeah, just DM him. Hope and I, uh, I mean, I'm I'm interested to go for the student mix, no? Yeah, mm. I'll yeah. probably be there next week. Yeah, I mean, it's, it sounds like a good opportunity to network mm. with other students. So if you guys want to meet us there, um, uh, yeah, pre-register yeah. in the link below and let's go. Yeah. And it's free. And it's free. It's free. Yeah. So thank you, thank you so much for coming on, man. It's my really pleasure. Thanks so yeah. much for inviting me. All the the values and the wisdom bombs about events and sausage party. And the sausage party. Sausage it will happen party. one day. Yeah. It's a myth right now, but one day it will be realized, I promise. For sure. Sausage party XPPJ. <laughs> anyway, if you guys want to see that happen, please make sure to follow us on Instagram, uh, YouTube, TikTok. Or Instagram and uh, TikTok is at Passion Project JP. And on YouTube, it's uh, Passion Project Japan. Yeah. Uh, okay. Now remember to subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well if you just want to listen to what we're talking right now. Yeah. At Passion Project Japan. Right? Yeah. So thank you so much, Matt. This is the episode. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.